You know, in uh, thank you for the welcome. Early in 2019, um, I began to think about some passages in the Bible. And uh, I got to these passages in the Bible, I was reading them, and there's, there's a spot where Jesus says something like, you know, you Pharisees, you brood of snakes, you know, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And I was like, yeah, you go, Jesus. You tell those wicked religious people some things, right? And, and I began to think of that, and then I suddenly thought, wait, I'm a religious leader. What if those words have some truth in them that are for me? You know, what if I'm skipping over these and, and I'm skipping over the very words of Jesus which have some truth for anybody who's a religious leader? And, and if that's the case, then maybe there's whole tracts of Scripture that I've completely ignored for the sake of thinking I'm on Jesus' side. And, and as I began to reflect on that, it started to impact me a little bit and I thought, I have to do something about this. So I began to look at these words of Jesus and I began to wonder, what do they say to me? Well, actually... I just want to pause for a minute and say, maybe, you know, I, I thought, well, what do these words say to me? Because I'm a religious leader. Then I thought, well, actually, I know some people who have a lot to say about the church and how the church ought to run. And maybe you don't have a position as a religious leader like me, but you're a wannabe religious leader, right? You know, because some of you, surely you've sat there every now and then and you've thought to yourself, I know what should happen to the church. And if the church was run right, it would happen like this. Well, I say, well, that's, that's religious leadership, Right. And, and there's probably one in this church like that. But, you know, so if this is the case, then maybe this is a message for you and, and it's a message for me and it's for anyone who wants to know what Jesus thinks about the church and what he thinks about leadership and what he thinks about how the church should operate, right? So actually what happened was that was 2019. I began this process. We, I thought, I have to see what Jesus says, but I can't just see what Jesus says. Maybe I need to look at what Jesus also does. Because maybe in some things Jesus does, he gives me a message about what I should be doing as a spiritual leader and what I should do if I'm interested in the church and what I should do if I'm a disciple. So then I'm going to read the books of the gospel, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and I'm going to see what is it Jesus wants to say to me if I want anything to do with the church and if I want to be a true disciple of Jesus and I want to lead the church. So I began in Matthew and for the last two and a half years... My wife and I and, and a, a couple, trusted couple friend of ours, that we, just, we have a Bible study every two weeks and we we're, we're finally made it to Matthew 14. <laughs> so I have to tell you this, the honest truth is, I cannot tell you how, impact this study, how impactful this study has been to me. I have learned some things from the scripture that I have never thought of before that have truly challenged me to think about. What kind of leadership are you offering the church? What kind of a disciple are you? Do you truly understand what God wants you to do? And I've done it simply by asking this one question of any text that I read in the gospel, and it, this is it. What would Jesus, if this was written to spiritual leaders, what would Jesus say to me? And honestly, it's been amazing. So, um, believe it or not, two years ago, almost to the day, a little bit earlier in, in August, um, I was here. And I preached the very first message in that series on what would Jesus say to spiritual leaders? And the title of that message was Start Here. Now, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you the second in that series of message, and, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But I wanted to recap just a little bit for those of you who, because I've learned this over life, is 
I probably don't remember what I preached two years ago. I certainly don't expect you to remember what I preached two years ago. And, and so here's what I want to do. I started, of course, reading in Matthew, and I got to Matthew, and I got to Matthew chapter 3, where it talks about Jesus' baptism. Great to hear you had some baptisms last night. And then the very next passage, it talks about Jesus being tempted in the desert. And I began to think to myself, I wonder if these things that happened to Jesus, because, you know, we look at them and we go, well, of course Jesus had to be tempted by the devil. Of course he had to be baptized because he was Jesus and, and we had to be sure that he was Jesus. And I began to think, well, but hang on, wait a minute. What if this was meant for me? What if this was an example that Jesus set and he said, every spiritual leader must go through these things, right? Every spiritual leader must first be baptized and submitted to the will of God. And every sp spiritual leader might just be led by the devil out into the wilderness, right, to be tested in these things. And so I came up last time with the, the message. It was four tests of spiritual leadership or four tests of anybody who wants to have a say about how the church should be run, right, or four tests of anybody who wants to be a disciple of Jesus. And I'll try and go through those quickly because that's not the message for today. Just to recap, and the first one was this. The identity test. And this came from Jesus' baptism. And I just want to say what happened here was from those words where, he, where, where God said to Jesus, this is my son, in him I'm well pleased. And the question I had for myself was, okay, well, what was God pleased about? Well, Jesus hadn't been to the cross yet, hadn't been the disciples yet, hadn't, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, hadn't done any miracles yet. I mean, you could probably argue with me one or two might have happened, but, he, but nothing had happened. So what was, G, what was God proud about? What was he happy about? I'd su submit to you it's this, that Jesus was submitted to the will of the Father through baptism, and then he said, I, I, I will do what you will. And right to his life, to the Garden of the, you know, Gethsemane, where he said, not my will, but your will, right? And so if every spiritual leader and every wannabe Christian who wants to say anything about the church and every disciple of Jesus has got to start here. Do I submit myself to the Father's will? It's not my will, not my way, not the things I like. But what does God want to do, right? That's number one. Number two is this, the sustenance test. Um, and this was this idea, Jesus, uh, the devil said, turn these stones into bread, right? Now, here's what happens with the sustenance test is we're all tempted every now and then to do something in the kingdom that satisfies us. You know, it's a self-satisfying thing. I did that and, and now I'm satisfied, right? Well, Jesus said, that's not how you get satisfied in the kingdom. How you get satisfied in the kingdom is you need to listen to the words of the Father. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that's what sustains you. And too often what we've done is we've tried to listen to every other word, the latest prophecy, the latest YouTube channel, the latest conspiracy theory. We listen to them all and we say, this is what's happening. Guess what's going to happen? And, and, and Jesus, God will say this to us. He would say, listen, that's not how you get sustained. You get sustained by every word that proceeds from my mouth. Anyway, that's that sustenance test. So we're all tempted occasionally to want to self-sustain. Yeah, but here's the problem with that. What happens when God doesn't show up the way you want? Suddenly you're done with God. He didn't do what I wanted. He said, well, that's not how you get your sustenance. Getting what you want, he get it by me. Number three was uh, the trust test. This is a big one. See, Jesus said, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? And here's what happens to most of us. We, God speaks to us truth and he says, this is what's true about you. This is what I want you to do. This is who you are. And we go, I'm not sure God really mean all that. You probably mean it for them, but I don't trust you. 
Here's the big test for us all. If you want it, these are the things I'm saying. Every person, every disciple, every spiritual leader, you've got to go through this. Do you want to submit to the will of the Father? Do you want to be sustained by the words of God or something else? And here's the deal. Do you trust him when he speaks to you? These are the tests. And, and, and I'm, I'm submitting to you today. If you don't do these things, then you don't really have the right to have much of a say about the kingdom, right? You know, uh, anyway, that's number three. Here's number four. It's the worship test. These are the things I preached here last time I was here. The worship test was this. You know what we do? We try to put ourselves in the place of worship. That was the temptation for Jesus. You know, and Jesus said, hey, here's the deal. What happens is it's written, worship the Lord, worship God, and, and serve him only. But it's so easy, isn't it, to put yourself in that place? And, and people come to you and say, wow, it's amazing. Look at the church you've built. And we stop and we go, wow. We start with God and we go, God, we've got to trust you. It's the only way we can get there. And he shows up and he delivers something. And then we get to the end and we go, look what we did. And he says, you didn't do this at all. I did. This is the big trouble. So we put ourselves in the thing and we go, I'll just take a little bit of that glory. But he says, no, that's not how it works. Now, I say these are four tests. This is with the sermon from last time. These are the, this is the place you have to start. You have to start with submitting to the will of the Father, not to your own. You have to start to where we get your sustenance. It doesn't come from the things that happen. It comes from the words of God. You have to come to the point of trust. Do you trust him and what he says about you? And finally, you have to get yourself out of that place of worship, never to be acknowledged. I kind of have this dream that one day I'll die and nobody know who I was. You know, they'll only know Jesus. Like, I hope. I know it's not true because people will say, Lex this, Rex that, whatever. But the bottom line is, Tex is shown up and it's going to work, right? <laughs> but, but here's the deal, right? I hope that I die one day and nobody knows who Lex was, but everybody knows that he spoke about a guy and that guy's name was Jesus. And I hope for you this is the same too because that's who we serve. And that leads me, I think, into what I want to say today, which is the, the sermon for today, which is this idea that Jesus did something next. He said, he said, first, start here. These are four things you'll have to face today. These are four things you'll have to face tomorrow, right? These are four things you'll have to face whatever day you end up with. You'll have to keep revisiting them because that's the fundamentals of discipleship, of leadership. Then when Jesus finished that, he, 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 he came to this point where he said in Matthew 4.17, so I'm just reading Matthew again, I'm up to 4.17, and it, it says this, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, and so I wanted to say to you that I think to me, it's, it's once you face these tests, once you've settled once and for all in your mind, who's Lord of your life, right? Whose will are you obeying? Whose sustenance are you having? Who's getting the worship? Once you've sorted that out, the next thing you have to do is preach the kingdom. Now, there's some debate about whether this is this very next thing that happened with Jesus or whether there was a gap of time. Not really some debate. Mark tells us that uh, now after Jesus was arrested, John came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. So we've seen that John and so on, things have happened there. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, what about the kingdom, right? See, the bottom line here is, whatever way you look at this, Jesus began his ministry, and when he began his ministry, he did so with a particular emphasis. And to miss this emphasis is pretty much to miss absolutely everything we're on about as a church. But if you miss the emphasis that this is about the kingdom of God, then you've missed everything. Jesus was laser focused on the kingdom of God. And the message he was trying to get to cross to from beginning to end was, 
this, and this is a message that we all should embrace. But here's the problem. So many of us get so caught up in doing church, we forget why. So many of us get so caught up in worship practice and, you know, the, the, the latest thing that we have to do and the, the thing we have to rush here to do and, the, uh, you know, the building that has to be fixed and the, the programs that have to be run. And, you know what, the things that I want to see happen and the things that aren't happening that we forget, this whole thing's about the kingdom of God. You know, like every single bit of it. And, and I, I remember an, uh, an experience I had where a, a church I was at, um, there was a bit of an argument about the communion table because it would be moved. And, and I remember calling them into my office, and, and they, were, they were very upset. In fact, they'd resigned from the communion team. I called them in my office, and I said, so what's going on? The communion table, it's, it's been moved, and we want it back. I said, well, can we just talk about communion for a minute? Well, what's communion about? Well, it's when we get together, right, and we, we have the presence of God. It's when we, well, John Wesley said, it's when we experience the means of grace, Moments when God speaks to us. And I said, and so what part of that has a communion table in it? And they said, none. I said, so the communion table isn't important, but communion is. And arguing about it and fighting about it doesn't sound like communion to me. So I put it back. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> No, no. Anyway, but, but here's this thing, right? Because the bottom line is, this is about the kingdom. I'm sorry, when you come to church, you might have thought, I come to church to sing some songs. I come to church because this is a cool church. I come to church because I like Pastor Rex. I mean, what? Sorry, uh, Lex. I mean, uh, yeah. So, you, know, you might have thought all those, but it's, but it's wrong. You come to church because of the kingdom. Because this is the kingdom, and you come to church to, to learn about the kingdom. So I just want to give you some ideas about the kingdom. Uh, and I'll just try and run through these reasonably quickly. The first one is this. You can't have a kingdom uh, without a king. Now, I know you're sitting there going, like, duh, Lex, this is not grade one. Of course, can't have a kingdom without a king. But I want to tell you something. It's a little secret. This is how we often want to do church. We want to do church without the king. Yeah, no, we sing songs and we do whatever, but sometimes we forget that Jesus is the king. I'll tell you why we forget, because I've been to prayer meetings before. This is how we forget. Jesus, give me this. Give me that. Do this for me. Do that for me. I don't know. I thought he was the boss. But apparently we are. Right. I'm just saying, when we get together, that's what we do. We tell him what we want. Do this for me. Do this for me. Do this for me. I know he's the great provider. He's benevolent. I, I understand all the theology behind that. I just wonder if we think he's the king or not. Because if he was the king and truly here, you, know, if the, you wouldn't come in and say, do this for me, Queenie. You know, Queen Elizabeth, it's about time you did some dishes. I don't know. I don't know. I think you'd go to them and say, what do you want me to do? And, and, and I just, I don't know. I, I long for this day when we say, Jesus, what do you want to do? What's your business? What are you trying to achieve? What does your kingdom look like? What, sh what kind of subject should we be? What kind of purpose do you have? Where do you want us to go? That's kingdom with a king. You know, and I feel like if, if, if I'm a spiritual leader and I don't talk about the king, then I'm not really doing my job, right? And if you're a spiritual wannabe and you don't talk about the king being the focus and the subject of it, then maybe I'm not sure we're on about the right thing. You know, if we're on about uh, my security or my fame, uh, we forget that it's not about me at all. 
This is the hardest thing to remember in the kingdom of God. It's hard, hard, hard. And I think it's because we skip over things like John the Baptist. When John the Baptist said, he must be greater, I must be less, least. This is the kingdom. He must be greater, I must be less. But we go, no, no, you need to listen to me. You need to do what I say. No, no, we must be less. So there it is. You know, we're not the rulers. It's his kingdom. It's his buildings. There's a guy, uh, his, his name's Mark Sayers. He's a cultural commentator. Uh, he's also the pastor of uh, Red Church in Melbourne, uh, Church of Christ Church. And he, he says, oh, look, if you want to get his podcast, awesome thinking about what is the culture, what's the kingdom. And one of the things he says, and I really, it really stuck with him, is people want the benefits of the kingdom without the king. He says they want to have what the kingdom offers, but they don't want to listen to the king. He was talking about our culture, the culture we live in. But I'd say the culture we live in is here in the church. We want all the good things God's offered, but we don't want to submit to his kingship. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble. Honestly, you came here today, the one to worship is the king. The one to listen to is the king. Everything we do today is about the king. Everything we do today should be what he wants. Not what we want. That's number one. Number two is this. The kingdom needs subjects. Now, I know you, again, you're going to say to me again, like this is like, duh, of course the kingdom needs a king. But, but here's the thing. If you don't subject yourself to the king, how can there ever be a kingdom? That's the whole point of Christianity. We're supposed to be a kingdom of God. Jesus said this. You know, you don't belong to this world. You belong to another kingdom. You're sojourners here. You're halfway through. You're like aliens in this land. You know, you belong to another kingdom. That's the idea here. You know, and, and this idea of belonging is, is very important. You know, this is how Jesus came. He, it's surprising, though, that we, we've forgotten this sometimes. We forgot that we're subject, subjects of the king. And being subjects of the king, it's, it's, we have to actually follow his ways. It's, it's like as if we... We've forgotten this, that, uh, that my job is, is a subject of his. And uh, we keep wanting the benefits of God, but we don't want to submit to his rules. We want him to show up and give me that job and, you know, make sure my pay is okay and, and help me with my marriage. But, but we, we're a bit like Neil said today, we, we're at the front of the service station with the, with the jerry can and we forgot we've got to go. We just, come on God, do it for me. He says, well, no, come to me, be subject to me, listen to me. I'm your king. Here's my third point. The kingdom needs some kind of regulations. I put regulation laws. I don't really know what the right, right terms here would be. I don't want to frighten anyone off with this, but there needs to be some different ways of thinking, right? If you're going to belong to this kingdom, the kingdom of God, well, you can't think like the other kingdom. I liken it to this. If you came to Australia to be a citizen of Australia, so you came to Australia, sorry, and, and you, you can't be an Australian without being a citizen, right? You can come here. You can live here, but you can't be an Australian until you agree to do what Australia says, to abide by our laws, abide by our cultural, you know, uh, I don't exactly know what's in that list. Some of you do. <laughs> You've been through that list, and you know how hard it is, and, and I reckon if we all, as Australians, we took some of those tests, we probably would fail. <laughs> but nevertheless, this is this idea. The kingdom has regulations. If you move to Australia, you can't go on abiding by the laws of your other country. You can't say, but in my country, we drive on the right side of the road, and I'm going to keep on driving on the right side of the road. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, because in the reality is that's not how we do things here. And you might not like it, and you might not be comfortable with it, 
But according to the king and the kingdom's rules, you have to do some of that, right? And this is the way it works in the kingdom. Our unfortunate thing in, in the church is that what we've tended to do is go, well, yeah, kind of like, yeah, well, we'll do what kind of God wants as long as it's okay with me. Now, I'll do a little bit of that, but I don't mind. Look, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll just drive on the left side of the road when no one's looking. Sorry, I'll drive on the left side when, when everyone's looking. But I'll drive on the right side of the road when no one's looking because that's me wanting to do my own thing. I can't tell you how surprised we were in uh, Sydney when we moved to Sydney about five years ago. And how many times on the news there was stories of people who hit someone with their car and then pretended it didn't happen. Hit and run. Well, like, is this like a, is this like a normal thing? I think it was a spade of and we haven't seen many lately, but it's a hit and run. And, and I, couldn't, I can't fathom it. Well, how could you hit someone and then try and hide? One guy took his car to the... To, the, to a place to get it destroyed, you know, like squished so no one could link the car with the, the, the thing that happened. And the only thing I thought about is this. Here's what happens is you think that someone not seeing it means it's okay. You think that if no one saw it, it doesn't actually matter. This is not how it works in the kingdom of God. God knows that's the thing. You're part of the kingdom. It's a different set of rules. You can't just go along pretending, well, hey, you know, today I'm in the kingdom and today I'm not. Today I'm an Australian and today I'm not. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. It takes effort and it's hard, by the way. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit tricky. I think this is what baptism is about, right? This idea of baptism, yes, it's about the water. Yes, it's about cleansing. But it's also about this. Everywhere throughout Christianity, the symbols of death and resurrection are rife. Everywhere. You'll see it. Baptism is this, I died to myself and I raised to Christ. My old man is dead. The new man is alive. I'm done with who I was. I'm now who you want me to be. That might be a process of time. Baptism doesn't solve all of that things, but what it does is solve something in your head where you say from now on, I'm not going to live by the old kingdom's rules. I'm going to live by the kingdom of God and I'm going to be who God wants me to be. And I'm telling you, I've done this for a long time now and it's hard. You know, I often said to God, I said, your job's easy. My job's hard. He says, what do you mean? I go, you're God and I'm not. You, you get it easy. You can just go and it's done. I've got to go, that's just too hard. You want me to obey you there? You want me to obey you like that? You want me to stop doing that? You want me to live like this? You want me to say sorry to them? You want me to say, beg forgiveness? You want me to say something? I, I just can't do it anymore. You know, and he says, keep doing it because that's what the kingdom of God is like and that's what changes your life now too many of us we want the easy road just a bit of God and a little bit of me and he says no 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 old man is dead that's why Paul have to keep saying take off those old clothes put on some new clothes remember who you are you're not that person you're this person the kingdom of God is like that All right here's number four the kingdom of God requires repentance now, it's a hard one because we don't like this word. You mean repent? Repent? Repent from what? I'm a good person. No, repent. Kingdom of God, repent. Repent. This is this idea. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You have to change your mind. You have to change your ways. You have to change your allegiance. You have to turn around. That's what repent means. It's, it's like I'm headed this direction and I turn and I go that direction. And I think in the church too often we say, well, come to Jesus and everything will be okay. You'll be able to have your best life now. And we forget the one thing that's important, which is, no, you have to repent from your old life now. 
And you don't repent from your old life now, you can't have the new life now. Because you can't have your cake and eat it too. I can't tell you how long it took me to realize what that actually meant. That once I eat the cake, it's not there anymore, right? And I was like, this is actually a, a real saying. <laughs> anyway, you can, you can, I know, it happens. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have the old life and the new. And I know we don't like that, right? We don't like that. We like to have a little bit of the old because it feels comfortable and it feels good. And the new clothes, sometimes they don't fit as well as we'd like. But you have to change your way of thinking. You have to change the way your mind, your mind is, is worked. That's why Romans 12 tells us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You don't want to know what God wants you to do. You have to renew your mind. Right? You have to stop thinking the old way. You have to start thinking God's way. That's how you change. And, and I think Paul helped us to know this is not easy. It's a process of time, and we're all on different parts of that journey, and we always have something that we're learning to do. Here's number five. The kingdom is, is kind of here, but it's not yet. Like it's, it, Jesus actually said this. He said the kingdom of God is near. It's here. It's, it's close. It's touchable. I think he was saying it's touchable because I'm here. I think he would say it's touchable because you can be here. But he's also saying that there's more to come. The kingdom needs to be expanded. It needs to grow. It needs to, be, um, it needs to become more. And, and part of the way that it becomes more is you and I start living like members of the kingdom. Now, one of our problems in our society is, I've often said this, if Christians actually truly lived like Christians, the world would be a different place. No, I didn't say if you preach Jesus, you go down and you give on someone the four spiritual laws. I didn't say that would change things. I'm saying what would change things is if you lived according to the principles of the kingdom of God everywhere you were, not just while in church, this world would be a different place. It takes effort. It takes, actually, it's the way you speak to your neighbor. It's the way you speak to the, the, the cashier at, at Woolworths. It's the way you conduct yourself. It's the words you use. It's the, it's your actions. It's the, it, you are, I, I was talking to someone last night about this and they were saying, because you see, the thing is, you are Jesus to everybody. You, any wonder why people get turned off by the church? Because they saw me and they saw you. And they went, well, that's the way Christians are. I don't know that I want to be a Christian, right? Because actually, we've got a job to do. It's a hard one. And we have to expand the kingdom. I think that's why Jesus had us pray this model prayer. This model prayer in, in Matthew 6, where it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. There's more, but I won't go there. Whose kingdom? His kingdom. Whose will? His will. What are we praying for? He said, Jesus, I don't think Jesus would say, pray this exact prayer and do it exactly like this, like a little formula, otherwise you won't be okay. No, I think he was saying, this is the model for how to pray. Make sure you're always praying for God's kingdom to come. God's kingdom to come on earth. This is where you and I live. This is in church. Come on earth as in heaven. The very model that you have in heaven, God, please bring it to earth. How's he going to do that? Well, through you and me. We live the values of the kingdom of God. Let me conclude. The kingdom of God. You've got to enter it first. And you enter it through repentance. And you enter it by giving up your own rights and your own will. And you enter it by being who God called you to be. You submit to his will to not your own, not to your own. You get sustained by his words and not your own. You trust him when he speaks to you. 
and you choose never to allow people to worship you you worship only him and out of this comes this commitment to kingdom to the kingdom values and to the kingdom living to this idea that this kingdom requires a king so the challenge for us is this is jesus your king or is he someone you just kind of have on the side does he get to call the shots in your life or do you are you subject to him to what he wants do you understand the kind of things that he's asking you to do and are you willing to change your own life and turn to him so some of you today that might be you so as we come to this final uh, part of worship i ask you to just reflect on this if jesus was speaking to you today as a religious leader as a wannabe religious leader as a disciple of jesus what would he be asking you to do from what we read in the gospels let's pray father we just well we come to you humbled by your word humbled by the the enormity of this task of submission to you to your will to your way to your purposes and the idea that that means i have to relinquish my own it's it's too hard sometimes because i'm used to being in control of my life I'm used to getting my way and I want to get my way and I, I feel bad when I can't. And so, God, I pray, help us all in that sense to be able to relinquish our kingdom and accept you as our king. Allow you to call the shots. Submit to your will. Be obedient to your ways so that your kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.